What's going on, everyone? Just wanted to say a quick disclaimer before we start today's episode. This is a two-part series. Part one, which you will hear shortly, and part two, which you will hear in the future on mentorship. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a qualified guest and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Today's guest is extraordinary, has a fantastic story. Uh, We actually met at a discount tire, funny enough, we'll touch on that later. But today, I'm sitting down with Lee Burgess, who uh, moved to Charlotte about 20 years ago from Ohio. He's an engineer, uh, real estate designer, true Buckeye, investor, traveler, and rookie writer. And he's got some very special topics we're going to be discussing today, such as business, entrepreneurship, real estate, relationships, and mentorship. And I'm really excited about this one, the Burgess Four, which I'll let him fully take that away later. But just once again, thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here at the Next Level Minds podcast, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Lee, uh, man, thank you for uh, taking the time to come out here. We were uh, sitting in a ton of traffic on the way over. I don't think I'm ever going to schedule a podcast on a Panthers home game again. Yeah, I hope not either. But you know, we got through it. And uh, it was amazing to be able to, you know, spend some time with you on a uh, Sunday. Of course. I appreciate it. Of course. So based on uh, the brief introduction I gave earlier, um, you know, what, uh, what do you want the listeners out there to know about you before we get rolling? Well, it, it sounds wonderful. I think, yeah, you know, giving them the, the, the clip of being here for 20 years is a, a good starting point. It started up in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I was engaged, got uh, moved down to Wilmington, North Carolina for a little bit, doing some engineering and IT work, ironically. Mm. And uh, at that point, uh, some stuff changed in my life and got a chance for an opportunity to live in Charlotte and uh, started uh, the engineering world uh, doing land development and you know, not to bore anybody with that stuff, but you kind of look at where you want to go with your life based on where you are in the moment. And uh, I realized that a couple of opportunities came about that I decided to go out on my own and took a chance about, you know, about 12 years ago and uh, built up a really neat design firm. And it'd be neat to share a little bit more about that later. Mm-hmm. And uh, it all started when I was 12. Mm. So, you know, you start... Uh, envisioning what you want in life because where you grow up and what you do from that point on based on your situation and at that time I was probably a little desperate didn't realize it and I learned to hustle and my first job I was 12 years old and kind of led me down that path Mm. looking for the opportunities yeah so when you're 12 because I kind of went through that myself of I was that kid knocking on every door, asking if I could cut their grass for half the price of what they were uh, normally charging just to you know, build foundation for myself at a young age. What do you think really puts you know, people's butt in the gear to say, all right, I'm going to start creating the life that I want. I'm going to start creating some, uh, you know, some money for myself. Like, what do you think separates those apart? Well, you know, that's a great question because I had to think about that myself. And fortunately, I had a, a really close friend when I was growing up that 
his father had been very successful. Mm. And when I say successful, it's one of those opportunities where you learn that there is something bigger than you. And his father was an electrical engineer, very successful in Columbus, Ohio. And he had a lot of great toys. And when you're 12, toys are kind of fun. And he had the mopeds and the, ah. the, the trikes and all the cool little uh, bicycles. And he was the first one that taught me how to drive a car when I was 15 and a half because he had a car. Mm -hmm. I didn't. So you learn all those things. But he was the one that was telling me about how money worked. And I was chasing money, and that's normally what happens with most of us. And uh, his father was creating it, and it was a whole different animal. He uh, built a, a successful electrical engineering operation, and that taught me that you need to have more than yourself. Mm. But the problem is that a lot of times in life we don't grow with that down the road. We sometimes get linear, and we only think about ourselves for the moment. And that's where I got sideways for about a decade and then i got kicked in the rear mm. and figured out that maybe being out on my own has a better opportunity but i took all those tools that i learned from when i was 12 to 16 and started applying them a little later in life probably not recommended i think sometimes you want to take chances earlier in life because you can recover from failures mm. as you get older those failures become more painful and you don't want to do that later in life when you start kicking in the 40s and 50s without very cautious backup plans, right? Right. And that's where I ended up having to go back to as a backup plan. Fortunately, I had a really good degree to fall on, and that allows you opportunities to recover. Mm, mm. And uh, that reminds me with the whole mentorship thing. That kind of reminds me of the, the rich dad, poor dad story, uh, which is actually how we met at Discount Tire. I was reading that book, and you asked me, so what cash flow quadrant are you in? And I was like, I did not expect this guy to ask me this today. Yeah, I remember so, that. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm an employee, but I'm working every day to be business owner and then move on to investor. Um, and so with mentorship, would you say that it's necessary to establish at a young age or can you do it once you start in your job or how does that, how does that really work? Well, the mentorship, I, uh, you know, those are things that I, I, I think happen through chance and mm -hmm. luck and hard work. I don't know if they are something that you can cherry pick off a, you know, shelf and figure out that that's going to, you're going to be able to find somebody and bring them into your life. Mentorship is um, something that I think everybody should strive for, mean themselves, mm -hmm. and get the tools mm -hmm. so they can pass it forward. But to find a mentor, kind of my goal was to not find one, is to earn one. Mm. And uh, that's the route I took. I felt that if I had the tools and I applied the tools properly and I built the relationship in a way that allowed an ebb and flow mm. of good and bad, because not everything's always perfect, usually mentors keep an eye on the bad stuff because they want to see how you rebound. Because mm. then they want to know if they're going to put their time and energy into you. And mine came later in my life. I, did, I had people that watched over me when I was younger and taught me how to bowl or shoot a basketball or swing a golf club besides my father. You know, you had other people that you engaged with. But when it uh, came down to later in life, my biggest opportunity was hard work and not realizing that the mentor is right in front of me. Mm. And I built that relationship up, and they brought me in, and that's when I could tell. At the time, you think you can go look for it, 
but sometimes it's right in front of you. It just needs to mature and nurture itself through, meaning they need to build the trust, the loyalty. You got to go through some hardship. Mm. And then you start becoming a little personal. And when you're personal about things where you can actually tell somebody something about yourself that makes you vulnerable and they take care of you and they got your back, then you can start building from that. I've noticed that with the stuff that's happened in my life. I have one specific person, and I won't mention him, but he's a very successful, amazingly successful real estate developer. Mm. And he gave me a chance in the worst economy. And he was so wealthy that he floated me during the 2009, 10, and 11 downturn. Wow. And it took a while for everybody to kind of get their legs underneath them. And I knew something was special. And I was willing to take a chance, and I was working for hardly anything. I just wanted to work. Mm -hmm. And he saw that. And uh, his key words were, keep yourself squeaky clean. Don't want to see anything crazy on social media mm -hmm. because our t company scours that to make sure we have the right people working with us. And I want you to work hard and realize you're not going to get rich today. Mm. And just keep that in mind. And I didn't realize it at the time that he was teeing me up and wanted to see if I could handle it. Yeah. And that's part of it. Yeah. And so when you found that mentor was, um, or more of the mentorship found you, was that right when you moved to Charlotte then? or Absolutely. Okay. I, I think um, part of it was I really wasn't prepared for it early on. Mm -hmm. I think I was in that lane of career lane. Mm -hmm. And I think we all go through, you come out of school, you get that job, you um, go get your first house. Mm -hmm. You know, back then, that's what a lot of people did, you know, in their early, mid-20s. They, right. don't, they don't do that today. No. But uh, then that obviously put you in a certain frame that you have to be committed to and know that you can't take big risks because there's big responsibilities already, right? Mm. And that's a lot of things I always explain to people is that if you are going to take risk, look at what your liabilities are mm. and keep an eye on that. I mean, if you got a lot of debt and you got, you're carrying a lot of debt, take risk very calculated and try to build from it. But if you're carrying a lot of school debt or, you know, credit card debt or whatever, you got car loans and whatnot. I always tell people that it's great to take risk, but you also got to have not necessarily a backup plan to fall out on, but just to make sure that it doesn't trip you up so much that you do fall out. Mm. And that's what happened to me as I tripped too hard and I had to drop back into the career mode from mm. being out on my own. Yeah. From Burgess Design, that is. Yeah. And so you, just so I'm clear and everyone else is, so you started Burgess Design after uh, you started following some of the mentorship. 2009. 2009. Yep. And so were you taking more calculated risk at that time or was it just gung-ho, like, let's do this thing? Yeah. Um, it, was, it was something that I'd already started working on probably in 2006, seven. Mm. And I had it as a side hustle, as yeah. I call it. And I was working on that. And then 2008, I got laid off from my engineering job. Mm. And uh, it kind of cut your feet off. But fortunately, I had a little bit stacked away. Yeah. And my liabilities were low. But I did have a mortgage. Mm -hmm. But everything else was pretty well squeaky clean. So I could take that calculated risk. And when I did, that's when I rolled out and was doing side gigs with uh, this client that ended up becoming my mentor. That's where I created 
Burgess Design from, and it was a small boutique, handled three or four clients, mm-hmm. and it kept me fed and watered, as I call it, for a decade, in which, you know, you look back, yeah, it'd be nice to have another decade ahead, but sometimes the world gives you a curveball and you have to adjust. Mm. But I don't forget where I came from, and now I know going forward how to apply it better. Mm-hmm. If it, what do you think... Why do you think people out there are scared to take calculated risk or, or start a company, really just take that job? I mean, what, what do you think is going on there? Well, I think there's another good question there that, you know, we brought it up early on about our growing, being 12, 13 years old yeah. and cutting lawns and, and doing these little side paper routes, whatnot, mm-hmm. trying to earn that 5 or $10 is what I call it back then. Well, they don't do that today. Mm. So you're not nurturing the behavior early on of what a hustle is. And sometimes that could be good and bad for somebody. Some people are very fortunate that they don't ever have to worry about a side hustle. And then the ones that are not, they need the tools. And the problem is that the tools need to be created earlier. You need to have them there kind of incubating. So when you need to kick them on, you kind of understood how to take risk Meaning knowing how to cold call or knock on a door or engage somebody in a deeper face-to-face conversation, which sometimes gets a little disconnected today with the way our tools are in our world, with the phones and text messaging and emails. Well, I didn't have that interference when I was putting this all together. Mm -hmm. We had a little bit of email. The phones were very, I call it Nextel, you know, it was... There was a phone number, and you right. you want to text, boy, it was painful because <laughs> it didn't have letters. Um, but I just think it's early programming. I think if I drop it down to just a very simple way of looking at it, early programming is different today. And I think I don't think kids are missing out or young adults. I just think that the uh, risk profile of knowing what it's like to get fired mm. or to have a, a massive failure with a client where something just didn't work out right or a client didn't pay you you know there's all these little small variables that some people are not exposed to to understand that the world is not fair and when you go into it with that kind of mindset you can grow from it but the same context you can't go forward in life without a little bit of substance and background meaning if I didn't have that hustle from when I was 12, I think it would look different today. You know, that 10-year spell of Burgess Design may have not happened the same way. It may have been me doing it on the side still and having a full-time career, which I don't think is a bad thing. Mm. You just got to be cautious with your time. That's the one thing that burns very quickly. You can recreate money with ideas. You can lose it with ideas but you can't stop the clock. And that's mm. the biggest thing I always tell all my friends is that clock is your biggest proponent to being successful if you don't utilize it properly. You'll look back and go, well, I wish I could have or I should have. And I didn't have that problem because I already tried it, failed it. You know, you kind of look back around and dust yourself off and go at it again. Yeah. You know, as long as you got your health. Right. So you brought up some really good points there, and I have two follow-ups on that. One, definitely the whole mentorship uh, really does play a huge part. You know, when I was early high school, I uh, grew up in a great family. You know, my parents were always supporting me. Uh, my parents were just preaching positivity all the time. But then I had another guy, I don't mind name dropping him, Sean Reynolds. He was a general contractor who's done very well in Charleston. 
and he was very like, you know, life's not fair. It's going to kick you in the curb. So he was very hard and aggressive with that. So it was interesting growing up because I had my parents, you know, positivity, uplifting side, but then I had his side. He'd always say, you need to take the word fair out of the English dictionary. So, and I was like, all right. And at the time I was like, you know, who the hell is this guy telling me this at 15? I don't really care. But now I really think back to all the lessons that he was teaching me of life's not fair. And that mixed with the positivity from my uh, parents' side has just really shaped me into who I am today. So Yeah, no, I definitely agree that your uh, parents um, can play a, a strong role in creating you. And I think that uh, if there's people on this podcast that can learn something from that is, you know, love your family, for mm. one. And um, nobody's perfect, mm-hmm. but they always bring something to the table. And it just surprises you later in life what that value is. It's not necessarily at the moment. Mm-hmm. It may have been something that plays a trigger of showing you appreciation down the road. Like my grandfather, he was like a role model to me when I was growing up. Taught me how to do wood carving, mow a lawn, fix a car. Yeah. You know, all the things that, you know, you look back on, you're going, why, why? And then once you need it, you go, ah, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, even with today's cars are fancy, you still know how to fix a tire. You know how to do these certain things. And, uh, I think that was valuable to me also. So maybe my grandfather was part of that mentorship yeah. indirectly because you you never think about a family member being a mentor. Mm. You think of him as a family member doing kind of like a family task. Mm. You know, that that's part of their role of being, you know, rolling out the ideals and get sharing their their pains and suffering. But you know, you could reflect back and say that your parents probably had a lot to do with molding you. But also being able to expose yourself to someone else that doesn't know you and you can grow from that mm. and utilize the tools to, I guess, create a relationship with this mentor indirectly or directly to allow them to open up and give you their knowledge. Because one of the other things that happens with people that are very successful is that knowledge sometimes is held mm. and they'd love to share it, but they just don't want to give it free nilly to people that wouldn't appreciate it. So that's why I was talking about that earning it. Mm. When you earn it and you're, you're in that zone with that person and it, you just sit down and you journal and you're writing down some of the day's activities and you start piecing it together day after day and you start looking at it and you see the paper trail of how it developed. Mm. And that's one of the things I always do. I always have a journal. Matters if it's a calendar, just writing down just little ideas yeah, or just reminding myself of something. Yeah. Do you do the journal in the morning and the evening? or how? I think I do whenever. Okay. I think that it's, I always have a, a pen and paper with me or a post-it. And, I, you know, if I find a pencil or even, a, you know, if there's a crown from a friend of mine's kid, I'll write something down at the time just so I don't lose track of it. A lot of people will plug it in their phone. The problem with that is I forget to go back to my phone. Mm. I always open up my book. Yeah. And that's just me. Yep, yep. So with Burgess Design, so you you started this, and after you got laid off, correct? And, yeah, okay. that in 2008. Okay, so that happens. Burgess Design is around for a decade, right? Yeah, what happened was it was already as a side hustle for okay. a couple of years prior. And so I started, really, it wasn't a full-fledged uh, item until after 2008. So 2009 is when it really got ramped up. But... I'd had it around for about three to four years prior. Mm. And so I was 
toying with some side projects, and I kept it active, learning the the concepts of filing taxes and keeping track of receipts, and you know the little things that you you don't do as an employee necessarily, unless you're just doing it for an expense report. Right. But that was part of it. Yeah. It was just to tool myself back into thinking, can I do it? Mm. And then you went back into, I guess, corporate America, quote unquote, after that, or yeah, you know, unfortunately, I took some pretty uh, substantial risk. I was chasing some real estate development deals, and uh, the cash flow was starting, you mm. know, exceed what was coming in. So I, uh, I chose to uh, get back into the general contracting world. I stay in construction, but I focus more on the residential play versus the commercial play, which was what I made a pretty substantial fortune on back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, but it'll take it away from you just as quick as you earn it. <laughs> right. What was your mindset like during that time of getting everything stripped away? Um, you, you know, you, you don't really understand how bad you feel for probably six to 12 months later because the problem is is when you're in it, you are just concentrating on the moment, right? Mm. You're not valuating whys. You don't have time for whys. You're like trying to figure out how. How can I, you know, you come from this desperate state and your, your, your monetary position takes you into a desperate state from versus the inspiration side like we've talked about, which mm. would be a little later. And when you're inspired and you're tooled right, there's one outcome. And then when you become desperate and your money changes, then you have to go back to bootstraps. You have to get dirty. You have to figure out what I need to do. You have to get lean. Mm. And you have to focus. And that's what I was fortunate I could do that. Um, when I came out of it, I took some substantial risk in 2015, 16, on some real estate uh, plays that uh, drained a lot of capital. And they fortunately, they came back around and I returned my capital on those. But at the time, they drained me to where I didn't have the ability to function day to day because it zapped me. And that's why I always tell people, you can always make more money. But that time, I couldn't get it back. Mm. And I was trying to figure out how I could switch that clock back right. and go back to where it was all cushy and the <laughs> bank account was fat and happy. But uh, reality, it, it had shifted me in a different mindset. And uh, fortunately, I had the right tools mm. to get back into the industry that I enjoy. Um, I still keep an eye on the side hustle, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it'll never go away. Got to. What, uh, what advice would you give out there to, to some of our listeners who may have built something, whether it's in their career or their business, and they're at the phase right now, and, they're, and they've lost it or losing it right now? Well, that kind of goes back to, you know, the way you were raised. Mm. You know, sometimes it's tough for people to accept it. And if you understand failures enough – that it's not permanent. I think a lot of people, as long as they can get their mindset out of that it's a permanent state, I think they can recover pretty quick. And if they have the right resources, meaning the, the mindset, like we talk about here, of finding opportunities, that's going to be one of the ways. But to be honest with you, there's so many variables when you get in a depressed or desperate state mm. that it's hard to tell which angle to go with unless I had a you know, an example. But if it's like for, for my example, you know, where it caught me off guard, it's because I took risk. I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I knew that I took away my safety net 
And I knew that that was the chance I was willing to take for a bigger piece of the pie. Right. And that was what I was willing to do. Okay. And it, it definitely does all go back to time. I, I know a lot of times people, oh, I wish I had this back or regrets a huge poison yep. with that. Um, I really want to discuss the Burgess Four. Uh, I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit. I don't know if you're ready for that yet. Yeah, I don't know. Or, yeah, I mean, we could touch base on it. I think it's a, it's a, a good tool to yeah. to share and, and have fun with it. And, you know, the Burgess Four was created many moons ago, and I just recently started nurturing it into something that could be real. And it was kind of like the the quadrant that we were talking about with Robert Kiyosaki. Mm. Um, the whole principle of it was is very simple. It's It's got four basic categories and these four categories outside health is usually involved with day-to-day activities Mm. and i'd use this as a tool to remind myself where i'm at and it was mostly built for me but i realized that it could be something that could help others but it's desperation inspiration money sex so if you look at a quadrant and you put d in the upper let's say the upper left corner and you go down, I, over to the right, M, and then up, S, DIMS, is how I mm. acronymed it for my quadrant. And it's just a way to just picture in uh, people's vision of where you're at in your mindset. And I'm working on some categories of just how I dealt with it, some stories that fit each model uh, individually, and then how they work when they start merging, whether you run into an inspiration in money or a desperation in money or there's a sex component, not the physical act of sex. It could be an attraction mm. or a deception, meaning something somebody utilizes a sex-type object to distract you, mm. and it becomes a desperate state. And that was just those are the things that I thought about, and the health is a, a floating item that never you never know how that plays in, but those four items are things we can control or subjectively know we're in them. Mm. And that's why I brought them around. So every choice or decision usually has to do with two of those, right? Or? Yeah, usually it's two. Okay. And most of the time, and sometimes it's three, but it's usually two, and it's usually inspiration and money and desperation and money. And if you think about it, um, going to work mm. is an inspiration. You're trying to, or you're desperate but you're trying to work for money when you're going to a job. You, most people don't go to work for free yeah. unless they own it. But yeah. So with that, that just, sorry, that just sparked up a good question. Would you say you perform differently when you're a lot more inspired versus when you're in the desperation quadrant? How does that really, or could you be, I'm so desperate to get out of this situation, I'm scrapping, I'm hustling. How, how does that really work? Does one yeah, no, that is a good question because I thought about that and I had a friend of mine that actually hit three of those at one time mm. and he was desperate and he found internally the, the option to try to get inspired and he followed through that inspiration and he uh, recreated his money channel. And but he, I think the desperation side of it had to trigger it. I don't think when he was in it, just like me, when I was inspired, and I had it going on. Yeah, you you lose track. Mm. And but when you're desperate, you're you're looking at the clock differently. When you're inspired, you're you're in a different mindset and you're enjoying things and you're not really concerned as much about the clock because when you're desperate, 
every minute counts because right. now you're trying to figure out how to eat, how to pay rent or get my car payment. But when you're inspired, I think there's a lot more freedom and you don't specifically drop it down to a time element, mm. even though it does play into it. Yeah, that's so true. I remember when I was uh, in Clemson, I was working uh, part-time at Allstate and uh, the agency actually closed and this was March, I believe. So, and I was graduating in May, so I had three months. I was like, okay, I can either find another job or I was like, you know what? I think I have enough money to last me the last three months of the semester. But it was desperation. <laughs> Every decision was like, all right, they want to go out to eat. That's $7 plus a $4 beer. Do I have enough for that? It would, and it was so calculated risk at the time. Oh, yeah, you were micromanaging your life. Every day, yeah. <laughs> so how do you think uh, if people are in a, a desperation mode, is there any strategies that they can implement to get into the inspiration? Well, yeah, and I know we, we, we talked about it just a minute ago a little bit, and we didn't dive into how to get your mind right. Sometimes um, you got to look at where you're at. Mm. Um, some t- sometimes, for example, it might be the wrong city. Maybe you need to be surrounded by family, you know, to get yourself refocused, or around a spouse or a girlfriend, boyfriend, that allows you to have a foundation. But first thing I always do, and I did, was I found my core, and I found my core friends, and I just took a break and realized I can't change it right now, but I got to reset myself, Mm. and that's tough. And so sometimes you have to go and find somebody you can talk to to share where you're at and hope that they don't give you advice as much as just listen to let you vent, and maybe you can stir up the ideals inside you or as you're talking to somebody they give you an opportunity and that's the other item sometimes when you talk about stuff with key people and you don't even though you're desperate don't sound desperate Mm. that's one definitely don't sound desperate but you definitely internally know that you got a clock running right don't let it be shown because what it'll do is it'll transfer to the person watching you and then they will know and it's kind of a standoffish model so you always try to keep it inside, and it's hard. And that's why I tell you to go visit some friends, get it out, mm. and get around people that you want to seek and be around. You're going to have to do th- some stuff possibly for free to try to get some doors open. Or you're going to have to do a side hustle where you're earning part-time income while you're trying to get your feet back into that grind. And I just tell people that you need to keep your mind right. Mm. If your mind's off your health will go, and then when your health goes, it doesn't matter where you're at. Mm. you got to keep – and that was one of the things I did was I kept myself – I exercised every day. I kept a cheap, cheap gym membership. Wink, wink. We know which one's out there that's cheap. Right. Um, and I got it around good people and kept my mind sharp based on that. That was one thing I did every day religiously as I went and worked out. Mm. I wasn't a bodybuilder but I just got around other people and got my mind right and kept circulating that, that bloodline and seeing if something would come up, some idea. And I met people, and it gave me another side hustle Yeah, yeah. to allow me to breathe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, uh, I, heard, I had a gentleman on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and I asked him a similar question. He said, well, it all goes back to people, places, and things. That's really what's influencing you right now. So change out your people, change out your places, change out your things really just touching on those points. If you ha- so this is kind of a struggle that I see come up. If you have 
a close family member, a close friend, and it's kind of in toxic environments, you just separate yourself completely, or how does that work? I just think you, you minimize your time with them. Mm. I don't think you want to be rude. I think you just kind of pull back and focus your energy somewhere else. But sometimes those people come into play to allow you to vent, mm. and they're just like, it's like a, a great cradle of just, you know, random thoughts. And it, yeah. it, you know it's not going to go anywhere, but it allows you to just dump, right? And then you can utilize the rest of your day on opportunities mm. and looking for those and keeping your mind right. But you do have to clean your mind up because you're not going to see the opportunities that are in front of you unless you're willing to accept them. So if you're in a desperate mode, you have to find a way to clean it out. Then you have to find a way to look for the next round. And if you don't clean your mind out, you're not going to be willing to accept the opportunities, kind of like when we were at Discount Tire, man. I mean, Discount Tire was amazing for both of us because I was looking for an opportunity to talk mm. just once. Right. You know, I kind of thought about it, thought it was a neat idea to have my voice, you know, kind of out there in the world. Yeah. However, I was looking for that opportunity, not that I was desperate, but it was kind of like the stars lined up and we pieced it together when you told me about your business model that you were doing and I thought it would be kind of neat to be part of it did I think I had a story to work with it not sure but I felt compelled that we give it a shot yeah and have a good time sharing what what I do know and hopefully somebody learned something from some of this because right you got to have the right mind you got to keep your health and you got to keep looking for opportunities and the way you look for your opportunities is definitely your early toiling mm. you know you, you're too well so let's think about that your tools that when you're a kid do help you later in life. The tools that you get in college can help you later in life. But college doesn't always teach you entrepreneurship. Mm, it doesn't, so it teaches you to be a good worker. To be a good employee. A yep. good employee. Yeah. So hopefully that helped a little bit better frame it in. If you had to give uh, yourself advice when you first moved to Charlotte with what you know now, what's some things that you would say? Well, Charlotte's got a lot of opportunities compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've learned when I first moved here was live close to where you want to grow. Mm. And, um, you know, the people that live uptown have a different incubator of opportunities. And, you know, there's some wonderful things going on up there. Just amazing. Um, and be somewhere where you can be passionate and comfortable and safe. Mm. And, uh, and not necessarily in that order. Sometimes you want to be safe first. You know, the, moving into a new town or m looking for new opportunities, you still got to make sure you take care of yourself, right? Right. Especially when you're out of your own element. You know, it's not Columbus, Ohio, where I knew, <laughs> I knew a good portion of people that protect me. Well, I'm I'm down here by myself. I'm the only child. So, right. You know. Right. What um I know I asked you this earlier, but I'd love for the listeners to uh, to hear this. What's one word in your mind to describe success and why? Well, we talked about it a couple of different ways. And, and one of the things I always enjoy, and it kind of goes back to this mentorship, is giving. Mm. And I think giving allows you an opportunity to uh, filter yourself into someone else. And you get to look at who you are from a different perspective. But, uh, you know, giving somebody money or doing charity work is always you know, a, a great opportunity. And when you're successful, I always highly recommend getting into charities, whatever it is. And I'm fortunate I do quite a few of those now. But giving allows you 
a chance to share positive. Mm. You know, it, it's one thing to collaborate and talk negative, but giving allowed me to just have an opportunity to help and change someone else's life. You know, and that's one of the fortunate things, even when it was just giving my time. When I, things were rough, I still helped people with my time right. and wanted them to be successful. And that was what, the reason why I used that word giving, mm. because it kind of goes into a lot of different angles. Yeah, I uh, I feel like people out there, and I struggle with this too, they just struggle to give their time because it's the most valuable resource out there. But every time I do give my time, I've, I volunteer at uh, Beds for Kids. So they provide uh, furniture for uh, homes that just got out of homelessness. Yeah. Obviously, you don't have a ton of money when you just got out of homelessness, right? So, uh, you know, I help deliver furniture there. And every time I do it, you know, I check my phone after I have 20 unread emails of just work. I'm like, you know what? That was fantastic. I've really had a chance to help somebody out. Impacted their life. I had a chance to maybe even pray over them if they asked that. Yeah. So it's uh, definitely. I totally agree with. The game. And that's and that's just part of it. But I think that I think when you become mentally and monetarily and physically balanced, meaning mm. you got a lot of things. Maybe you're not a millionaire, but you're comfortable. Um, maybe your health is great. You're not a superstar. You're not. You know. You're not running uh, some four minute mile but you're able to keep your clarity to share with others. I think there's a lot of people out there that need help. Mm. And I think the people that are successful should be the ones that kind of look for the opportunity to help them. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not talking about food banks because I give to those. You know, there's only so many people you can walk up to and give them a hamburger. But I'm talking about just finding people around you on a day-to-day that just need five minutes to just restructure their direction. Mm. And all they want is someone to listen to. Yeah, again, that goes back to the listening that you were mentioning. Yeah. Just being an ear uh, for somebody out there struggling. It, that's key. And that's where that mentorship, like I said back early on, it, you know, if it wasn't for me hustling through and sacrificing, it took me about two and a half years of earning the privilege. Mm. Earned I've had, privilege to having a mentor. Yeah, it didn't happen in five minutes. Right. I, I think people, it, it isn't going to happen in a text message. Mm, <laughs> that's so true. Well, Lee, I uh, really enjoyed having you on here. Thank you. Um, you shared a lot of value. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap up. I wish we could talk for hours, <laughs> but but we can't. We still have to beat that uh, that Panthers game day traffic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you said a lot of fantastic points on here that I'm sure a lot of people may have questions or just wanted uh, to ask you things. If, if people just want to connect with you, where's kind of the best place to do that, if, if you uh, wouldn't mind? Well, that's, um, I got the, the typical thing, LinkedIn, yeah, okay. Twitter, um, yeah, obviously Facebook. I think that's all around. But it's Broker Burgess, just like it sounds, Broker Burgess. So you dig it up, yep, and you can catch it on any of those and look for Lee Burgess in there, and you'll see my profile, and they're all identical. Yeah. I kept my same profile on every one of them. Ah, uh, I'm jealous. They can always reach out to me, ask questions. Okay, well, great. Um, well, thanks again for uh, for coming on as a guest today. Absolutely. Really, uh, really appreciate you giving your time. Um, so all the listeners out there, just wanted to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. Lee really added a lot of value today really on keeping your mindset right, not only during success, but during failure as well. Something I really got out of this was a mentor, you're not going to find them, him or her, in five minutes. It's like Lee mentioned, it could take two years of putting in the time, energy, and work ethic to prove to yourself that uh, they're worth pouring time into. Um, Really, I wanted to personally thank you guys again. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend, family member, leave a review on iTunes. 
as we like to say here at the Next Level Minds podcast, and I'm sure Lee agrees with this as well, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.